Welcome to Inside Pediatrics, a podcast brought to you by Children's Hospital of Alabama in Birmingham. I'm Tiffany Kazarowski, and today we're talking with Dr. Young Lau, who's a professor at UAB, the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and director of the Division of Pediatric Cardiology. Welcome, Dr. Lau. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So February is Heart Month in America and here at Children's. Maybe let's start with the difference between congenital heart disease in children and then the heart disease that we see in older adults. So the fields are quite different. In adults, uh, most of the heart disease that are seen there is something that is there and develops during adulthood because of lifestyle and Mm -hmm. diet and exercise and things like that. Okay. In the pediatric population, heart disease is usually a defect that they're born with. Mm -hmm. And so those defects can show up right as they're born. Sometimes they're even diagnosed before they're born as part of the prenatal evaluation with ultrasound. They see a defect in the heart, Mm -hmm. and then they will come to a cardiac high-risk appointment Mm -hmm. where cardiologists and maternal-fetal specialists uh, get together and evaluate the patients together. What happens next after the defect is discovered? The diagnosis is made, Mm -hmm. and then a plan is made for when the child is born as to what interventions will be needed. And here at Children's of Alabama, we're very fortunate because our unit is connected with the labor and delivery rooms as well as the high-risk nursery Mm -hmm. with a 40-foot bridge. And so in other centers around the country, it is not uncommon to be miles away between where the baby is born and where the child needs to go in order to get cardiac care. So makes for a very seamless transition when they may need to have some type of intervention, some type of procedure. Yes. And in fact, we have uh, in our most sick patients, the patients that are very, that need care right away, Mm -hmm. it is not uncommon that care is initiated in the delivery room. So within 15 minutes after the baby is born, sometimes they're put on uh, a machine that Mm -hmm. they need to be on and then brought to the catheterization lab or the operating room where a more definitive procedure can be done. Are there any warning signs that a pregnant woman might have that her unborn baby might have some type of heart problem or congenital heart problem? Those are usually found with ultrasound. Ultrasound technologists around the country know to look for certain views of the heart. And if they don't see that, then it is referred to a center that is capable of doing the more definitive diagnosis. What kind of defects are you seeing in these children? What kind of problems are they having when they come to you? Um, The normal heart has four chambers in it. It two big blood vessels that leave it that goes to the lung and to the body. Some of our children are born with three chambers instead of four. Mm -hmm. Some are born with just two chambers instead of four. There are walls of tissue that separate the chambers, and sometimes there are holes in that wall. Sometimes the blood vessels that leave the heart are narrowed. Sometimes the valves in those blood vessels are narrowed or they leak a lot. So there's Mm -hmm. all variety of of different heart defects. Things have really advanced in the last 50 to 60 years. Um, Dr. John Kirkland, who the Kirkland Clinic here in Birmingham is named after, Mm -hmm. was the person that perfected or made great advances in the heart-lung machine in the 1940s. Mm -hmm. 
and then brought that down to Alabama in 1966. Um, operations that were very high risk when I was a fellow 25 years ago are now fairly routine with very good results from it. And so there are very, very few patients that we feel as though there's nothing that can be done. Most of them were able to do operations or procedures on the heart that allow the child to go ahead and grow. Sometimes the patients uh, receive an operation within the first week of life, and of course at, at, at any age after that. Mm-hmm. Some of our most challenging patients are the premature babies mm-hmm. that may be only a couple pounds, and having to get them to grow to a size in which an operation is possible is something that we are in partnership with our neonatal specialists, right. our neonatologists, to be able to get them to that point. So speaking of the, the age of patients, um, you know, we hear every now and then we'll hear a story on the news about a high schooler, a teenager who's an athlete, star athlete, maybe they're out on the basketball court, or maybe they're playing football or volleyball or whatnot, and they pass out, and it turns out that they had a heart condition no one ever knew, mm-hmm. no one ever diagnosed. Yeah. So what do you do in that case? What kind of situation is that really going on? Those also very often are conditions that patients are born with, but they may not develop until later on in life. A prime Mm -hmm. example of that is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is where the muscle of the heart is not formed properly. And that puts them at higher risk for having a dangerous heart rhythm. Another abnormality is something called long QT syndrome. Now, those are due to an abnormality at the the cellular level where the channels that bring electrolytes in and out of the cell are not normal. And they are prone to arrhythmias or dangerous heart rhythms and cardiac arrest. They're born with that, but it may not manifest itself Mm -hmm. until later in life. And so as part of the screening and probably the most, one of the most important questions that we ask in the screening prior to, athlete, uh, prior to participation in athletics mm-hmm. is the family history. Okay. What is the family history like? Is there a family history of a member who has died before 50 years of age suddenly? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a history of seizures in the family because sometimes – someone diagnosed with a seizure actually has one of these abnormal rhythms. Are there suspicious accidents, like someone driving their car off the road in the middle of the day when they shouldn't have been tired or drownings? Mm -hmm. Those are things that trigger our attention to want to look further. Is there a history of fainting? Mm -hmm. Because knowing the history of fainting and looking at how it happened, when it happened, will prompt us to do further evaluation that can help us determine if it's a dangerous type of fainting Mm -hmm. or a fainting that I've seen very often. That just brings to light the importance of getting a physical and talking with a doctor before you start a rigorous athletic program. Yes, exactly. You know, because unfortunately, there there are not any really good methods that we have, even with EKGs and with echocardiograms, that will be able to screen large numbers of athletes mm-hmm. to be able to find this. Wow. So it's incumbent upon the parents to, if their kids are going to be participating in athletics, go see a doctor, 
get that that history and screening. Get the history and, and and the physical exam, mm-hmm. and pay attention to those questions that are on the、uh, questionnaire,、Absolutely. and the pre-participation questionnaire.、Right. And then you've been heavily involved in Alabama Life Start, which aims to help schools be prepared in case there is an emergency like this involving a child with a, a sudden heart condition. Because we don't have good screening, we then have to put in mechanisms that can deal with an event if that terrible event should occur. And the most effective that we have found is these automatic. External defibrillators. You see them more in more and more public places, in parks、mm-hmm. and in government buildings.、Um, Alabama Life Start was started to get AEDs and prepare schools in case one of these things happened.、Mm-hmm. And so, as of right now, there is at least one AED in every single public high school in the state of Alabama, and in most middle schools. And now we're targeting getting them into all the middle schools and maybe even to, into the elementary schools.、Um, part of them getting an AED is also that they have a robust training and practice of what to do in the event of a child collapsing. Right, and it has been successful. I continue to follow a number of children who have been saved with AEDs. Wow. And it is very rewarding to see them continue to grow and to thrive, even after having a cardiac arrest. So that these 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 incidences are very very traumatic, right?、Uh, to the whole community, to the whole school, to、right? the whole school, anyone who's there, anyone who's there. And thankfully, AEDs have saved a number of children here in Alabama. And so, if a school does not have an AED, but say you know. Say one of your patients is going to school. Do you guys work with that school to see if? I mean, would an AED help one of your patients that may absolutely having problems? So, when I make a diagnosis of a patient with a potential life-threatening event, like a patient who has long QT syndrome, or like a patient who has hypertrophic cardiomyopathy,、mm-hmm. who haven't has not yet had had an event, one of the things I always tell the parents is. Check with the school. Check with them every couple years. Make sure that they have looked at the AED. Make sure they know where the AED is. Make sure that their personnel that were trained to use the AED and know how to do CPR are still at that school. Right. And if they're not, to get the proper authorities to make sure that the new personnel are trained on it. Make sure that the AED pads are up to date. Make sure that the battery is still up to date.、Right. All those things, and it probably won't be your child that needs it, but because of your diligence, you might actually save someone else's That's life、right. or an adult's life who happens to be at the school.、So. That's true, Doctor Lau. What are some other advancements in cardiac care that have really helped patients, helped physicians like yourself? It's it, it, there are advances really all over in the, across a broad spectrum. Uh, our surgeons continue to do innovative operations. They are constantly looking at new ways of of, of doing things and improving it.、Um, we have very complicated hearts, some that we've never really seen before that we are having to deal with using techniques we already have.、Um, within the field of interventional cardiology, valves are a big part of what has advanced. Uh, now patients no longer have to open, undergo an open heart operation to get a new valve in certain positions. That will get better. It will become applicable to more and more valves、uh, within the heart. 
um, within the field of heart failure and heart transplantation, uh, there are always new devices out to help bridge a patient as their heart fails and as they wait for a heart transplant to occur, to become available, that um, that help to sustain life and also sustain the quality of life. Uh, patients with some of the new devices are able to leave the hospital. Um, wow. So that is something that, that I think is a big advance. Really, you guys are doing some amazing things with uh, lots of state-of-the-art technology. The smartphone has revolutionized all of our lives. Mm-hmm. And one of the programs we use is something called Airstrip, which allows us to look at any child connected to a monitor within the cardiac units and also in the other intensive care units in the hospital with a 10-second delay. I have helped to manage patients from, from Europe um, looking at their rhythm mm-hmm. and seeing, and we're able to look 24 hours in the past. So it's not uncommon that one of my colleagues in the ICU will call me up and say, hey, would you look at the rhythm from 2 a.m. last night and tell us what you think. Let's talk about family-centered care, and this has been a big buzzword, buzz phrase uh, throughout hospitals in the United States, but how do we do it here at Children? Family-centered care, when you look at it, is a broad experience. It comes from the beginning of when they first have contact with us all the way to the follow-up appointments that occur. So that we have tried in many different ways within cardiovascular medicine to make things as frictionless as possible, Mm -hmm. whether it be calling our office for appointments, seeing the patients in a timely manner, making sure that their experience in the office is fast and efficient. When they come for their pre-operative screening, they Mm -hmm. come to a single place that they then come to again on the day of the operation. Mm -hmm. And that is the same place we also use uh, if they need additional procedures after an operation like heart catheterizations or electrophysiology studies. Uh, It is the same place that the patient has to come to if they need additional uh, consultation with nutritionists or with the occupational therapist or physical therapist. Mm -hmm. We want the patient to come to a single place, the place that they know, a place that they're familiar with, and then have our team members come to them. We have over 250 people on the team. We have dedicated social workers, dedicated chaplains, counselors, occupational therapists, speech therapists, physical therapists, the list goes on and on. Right. And all of these folks are concentrated on dealing with children with heart disease. So it's really about that patient experience and the family's experience as they go throughout this journey. Exactly. And then while they're in the hospital during this very stressful time of undergoing operations or procedures, uh, the, the resources of children's is brought to bear to help them, uh, whether it be uh, counselors or physical therapists or child life folks, to all come to them to make sure that they can advance as quickly as possible and get out of the hospital as quickly as possible. Our right. intensive care team rounds every day, goes bedside to bedside, and the parents are involved in that. If the parents are there, it's not unusual as you walk through the ICU and you see the team rounding for that circle to include the parents so that the parents understand what is going on, the data that's being looked at, mm-hmm. the uh, plans that are being made for the day, and the expectations of the day. So family-centered care, from, from our standpoint, is a broad, broad experience from the very beginning of their contact with us and as we watch the child grow up. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Lau. We enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And happy you. Heart Month. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to Inside Pediatrics. More podcasts like this one can be found at childrensal.org forward slash inside pediatrics.